This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. And welcome back. This week we are discussing equity in education, but we are also looking at what happened in the Fairfax County public schools and using that story as kind of our trampoline, our jumping. <laughs> trampoline. <laughs> our jumping stone. I don't know what to call it. Well, our no, it might, it might be a trampoline. Aloha, everybody. Yeah, but it might be we jump further than we think, but it's a sort of a strange situation. Yeah. It really is interesting. Yeah. I've been following it since it first came out um, with the Washington Post. And then I've been following up with some, a, a little bit of additional research. It's been in, it's it's appeared on national media and <laughs> um, in national news. It's been in the local news over there in Virginia. And w- anyway, so why don't we get into what the story is first? How does that sound? Sounds great. And information is good. The story is that this year in Fairfax County Public Schools, FCPS. Virginia, Fairfax County, Virginia. Right, which is... Demographically... Right next, uh, demo, well, there are 181,000 students. There are 29 high schools, which serve over 59,000 students. This involves at least three three of the high schools in that district, but now we're finding out that there are other high schools in other adjoining districts, like in Loudoun County and some of the others, and it may be happening in other places across the country. I don't know. But anyway, so around New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, I think it was, was the first report Um it came out that the students, every year the students take the PSAT. And when they take the PSAT, uh, however well they do, um, that the, the top scorers can get the National Merit Scholarship. And then there's an, another group below that that can't go for the scholarship, but they receive a commendation. And there were several students who received this in the Fairfax County public school system. And most notably at Thomas Jefferson High School in Langley High School and also in Westfield. It came out first in Thomas Jefferson because the schools were notified in September and then they were supposed to send the letters home to the students or at least alert the students that they had won this award. 
simply because it makes them eligible for certain kinds of scholarships and grants. And it also affects their application in case they wanted to do early application. Well, they finally got their letters in homeroom in November. So it was two months since the letters came out that they were notified. And a parent asked the principal, the principal's white woman, why, and she says that she was told that it was an equity decision and that it had that they didn't want the other students to feel bad. <clears throat> okay. Which makes no sense whatsoever. So then it came out that Langley High School and Westfield High School also did the same thing. But on the record, they're claiming that it was a clerical error. They contradicted themselves. Well, remember, it was the parent who said first that they, they it was hearsay. Now the official response is that it was a clerical error. Well, the odd thing, I think, is that it also happened in adjoining counties at some of those schools. And it was enough that the that the attorney general is now looking into it. Hmm. And the governor actually said, do we need to create a law so that there is a timely distribution of these things, which there shouldn't have to be a law. I mean, the students should come first and they should just know these things. They should be told. So that's yeah. where we go into it. Now, Thomas Jefferson is more of a magnet school where students apply. And when students take their aptitude test, however well they do in school, and yeah. and Fairfax County is broken up into several, into different tiers. So let's say that there are different sections. So every high school has its feeder schools. Well, Thomas Jefferson is a bit different because they have an admissions policy because it's a science and technology school. So they want students who are going to score high on their aptitude tests and do well in their studies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's been a bone of contention because apparently the Asian community is saying that somehow or other that they are changing thing the demographics because they said that they had too many Asians who are going into the school and that they needed to have more black students and more Latino students. So there's also this kind of unrest that's going on as well. So, so the question then comes to, and I, you know, part of me gets that. I get that. But are you Mm -hmm. still getting, are you, are you still getting students who do really well? What are you doing? And so they're only taking X number of students from each, I guess, each demographic somehow from each region of the county to come Mm -hmm. into the school. Yeah. Based upon the demographic is based upon genetic descendancy. So you're you're saying, you're saying that, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm approaching this from a, 
as an objective standpoint as I can, as an objective as a standpoint as I can. Are we talking about um, evaluating students from a genetic standpoint? We're saying uh, that uh, there's too many students of Asian genetic descendancy that are at Thomas Jefferson, which is a science and mathematics-based school. That That's my understanding of yeah. what happened in 2018 okay. and since then. So there is also this other challenge that's going on. Okay. So that would be, so they want to engineer the entrance, uh, the, the, the categories of students that are being admitted based upon descendancy of heredity, you know, yeah. Of like right the descendancy of heredity yeah okay right so okay. Yeah. Okay. so what I wanted to do today was uh, look at this story yeah and I can put links uh -huh. in for the story if you um I found out that I can send you the links it won't get you the story as it is unless yeah. you are a unless you have a subscription yeah. um but I will get you some other links that go into the uh show notes so that you can also look at maybe some of the local news reports and take a look at that. And I want to stay out of politics with this. Sure. Because what I want to think about is <laughs> when we talk about equity and if we're looking at this as equity, yeah. are we looking at what's in the best interest of the child? Right. Are we doing it for the children or are we doing it so that we look good? Are we doing it for our own Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or whatever we have that showcases us? So it becomes right. more of a it becomes more of a reflection of our narcissism rather than on whether or not we're actually serving the communities. Yeah, that's 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 kind of the way I wanted to look at it. Okay. So that's why I wanted to define it as in we're looking at the admittance of students based upon their genetic background, their heredity. Right. Right. So we're saying that, yes. Okay. So, yeah. And that would be an objective way of saying that. And they, they said they're doing that based upon equity. That's what the parents right. said. That's the what parents, the parents said. The parents said that. What was the, and the parent was, I'm sorry, restate what the parent was saying about that again. The parents said yeah. that they didn't want the other students to feel bad. Oh. Because not everybody received a commendation. Oh. This is just about the students who received commendation. And they said, it's and not they said about that was equity. Merit. And they actually said that was equity. That's what the parents said that they were told by the principal. Now, on the record, the principal has not said that. Oh, yeah, that would be... Okay, so the definition of equity is the quality of being fair and impartial. Okay, so that's... I have the definition of equity right here. Yeah, what's your... I and mean, then that's the first one. Go ahead. This, what, this comes from ChatGPT3. Oh, 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 oh. No, we, can, <laughs> we can believe that. I'm sure that, sure that ChatGPT3 right. knows that. It's a, so, okay, so educational equity, because I wanted educational equity, not just... Oh equity. Okay. Educational equity is the concept of fairness in education, which means that all students should have access to the same educational opportunities, regardless of their race, gender, ethnicity, language, disability, or socioeconomic status. 
Okay. This includes providing resources and support to ensure that all students have the same chance to succeed in school. Okay. So that that would that would jive with the Oxford definition that gives you fairness, justice, and fair play in that same sort of yeah. Right. And so that's the same thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. you and I both know, and hopefully our listeners are also quite aware that districts do not believe in equity. They say they do, but they do not. If you think about alternative education programs, which have a far greater disparate population in diversity. Yes. Yeah. They receive less money per student. They receive even in the contract schools, because if, if districts who are contracting with schools, they should make sure that these schools have more than enough resources. They are limited in their resources, and they require more resources than the students at the regular school. Yeah. And they treat them as outcasts. So we already know that districts, maybe, they're, maybe you have a district that is com- very equitable in how they distribute. Mm-hmm. But the majority of them do of them. not. Yeah, I I used to work in one that had a very good way of looking at it, and they, they actually changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and but uh, yeah, yeah, there's okay. So okay, so okay. all students have the same chance to succeed in school. So and they said that was equity. That person said that is equity. And now equality, according to, to the Oxford is the state of being equal, especially in status and rights and in opportunities. Right, because all students should have so that's equality. equal rights, correct? Equal rights and equal, equal status and equal opportunities. So they should have that opportunity coming. It's almost external. It's almost, yeah, it's almost equality is the state of an external state. They should be able to work in a system that gives them equality of status, rights, and opportunities. They should be able to to start from the same place per se, whereas equality seems to say they should be provided the resources and, yeah, yeah, the resources and opportunities, self-opportunities. Yeah, it's it's there's a dif- it's a difference. There's a big difference. It's it's almost like equality meets you where you are, regardless of where you are, in fairness. And equality meets everyone, sort of in an equal status amongst the community. Yeah. Which so, one is it? Because it, you well, said equality more, for both of those. Ec- no, equity is more personal based. Yes. Definitely. Right. It's, it's harder to be equitable, I believe, because like you said, you have to invest the cost. You have to invest the, you have to make the investment in the person to begin with. And to have the fairness and justice and the fair play takes a little bit more. You have to consider the person, the student. It's student-centered if you're equitable. Equality right. is setting up a system that offers that, that, that equality of opportunity and the fairness inside the system, but that true justice and fair play to each person takes a lot of intention, and sometimes it's costly. Yeah. Well, think of it this way. 
Yeah. Equity means that you are well aware of the human resources that you need. Mm-hmm. Because we're not just talking about monetary resources. I mean, even though that comes that's what it always comes down to, right? In corporate yeah. education. Yes. So you have to look at how much it's going to cost. But what you don't take into account is how much will it cost in the long run if you don't make those investments now. I see. So if you have students who, for whatever reasons, they come in, let's say that they're students of trauma. Mm-hmm. Let's say that they're students with a very low socioeconomic background whose parents are fighting to make ends meet. Or, and or maybe the, they don't have parents. Maybe they're whole. Right. I had a. I remember a kid who his his mother used to go on conjugal visits, um, flying off to another state, leaving him home with no water, no electricity, no food. Yeah. And um, the kid, the kid was a mess. And the kid yeah. eventually, it, I mean, he got into some very dangerous situations and um, he was shot and he was killed. Yeah, this happens. This happens, folks. We know, you know, we don't want to think it happens, but it does. And it happens a lot more than you think it does. It does. And so I had this thought, this flashed through my mind. If a system isn't student-centered, is there any possibility of it being equitable? Maybe for the teachers, maybe for the educators. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think the student stands a chance, though. It doesn't seem that it does. No, but... But but you brought up a really good point. There needs to be equity for the teachers as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, you will have administrators who will gaslight you and say, look, you have all these things. Yeah. No, I don't. No, no, we don't. Well, and then they will they'll they'll try to say as many things as they can to try to talk their way out of it. But we need to have the resources for the students and we need to be able to provide successes for those students to look at because we are talking about growth mindset and fixed mindset. Yes. And school districts do not have a growth mindset. They have a very fixed mindset. Look at who they give all the money to. They give it to the students that they already know are going to be successful. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of do. They build the stadiums and the um, programs that they know are already going to succeed. Right. And yeah. they, yeah. but that where they should be making the investment and instead of adhering to the prison pipeline, right? Yeah. They should be investing more money and that's the state actually should be doing this. But we have so many non-educators. We have, let me, let me ask you this. Yes. First of all, how many administrators are actually educators? Very few, I am finding out, because I'm asking them. specifically. Okay. <laughs> they will call themselves educators. How many of your administrators work in the classroom? Will That's... take over a classroom for you, will yeah. actually be there. They cannot call themselves educator. There I is supp- one I know... that I knew that did that was a bona fide teacher, could do it and enjoyed it. Uh, there was one that did it in a pinch, and I have found out, as I said, I ask very few that are actually from a teaching background. They went into administration immediately. Right. Or they did their two to three years of teaching, yeah. got into admin, and they never looked back. I never looked back. It was like 
I want to get this done, get to admin and do what admin does and get the better paycheck and that kind of thing. It's not just about the better paycheck. I know so many administrators who got into it because it meant that they had power over people. And they uh -huh. are, they're, they're, I hate to say it, but they are very mediocre. As yeah. far as being uh -huh. educated, if, if we're going to call them educators, they're mediocre at it. They don't do any education. They pretend that they are going to educate you as a teacher as yeah. an educator, but they don't know a hill of beans what they're talking about. So I but, knew uh, the, I've seen a change. I've seen a change. The best administrators I ever had or didn't have and talked to had kind of gone by the middle 2000s. Mm -hmm. It started to fade away. And the best administrators I've met since then were working in private schools. I met one. And I may be meeting more this next month. Mm. Okay. I'm going to go to the Washington Alternative Learning Association conference. Yeah. Most likely, unless something else happens. And I'll be talking to some administrators up there because there's a couple that I found to be incredible because they're team leaders. Mm. They're not administrators. They're yeah, team they're leaders. team leaders. If, if someone in your team has more knowledge about something than you do, you mm -hmm. ask them to teach you too. You don't but, just go, well, I'm the boss and we'll just not do that because I don't know about that. So we'll just do something I know about. It limits the whole team. I've seen so many people that were my bosses that did that. And it's like, but that's a good idea. We could use that. And they don't want to get into it because they don't know about it. They want to do something they know about. It's very limiting. I also discovered that when I spoke to administrators. And I said, look, your job is to support the teachers. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they just started laughing. And I said, I don't understand what's so funny about that. They said, no, your job is to support us. Your job is to make us look good. And I said, wait a second. If we walked out, they said, you can't because you have a contract. And I said, but if you look at the contract, if yeah. we do not feel safe in our schools, we don't have to be here until we do feel safe. Believe me, they you can find the way they do. I mean, I wouldn't have done it, but they did it. So they do mm -hmm. it all the time. They, there's a little word in there that just pop up and say, we'll make life very difficult if the if you don't kind of thing. It's, and it's you always, know what? There's no contract. Thing. There's no tenure. There is none. None. That's true. Not in our state. Nope. Not anymore. I thought I, I thought there was. No. If they want you gone, you're gone. It was easier in the that at that system than it was in the private sector. Mm-hmm. Well, it was. Definitely. Yeah, I was amazed. I was amazed. Mm-hmm. But okay. So getting back. About this, going back to that that thing about it is I did do a um just a job recently in a alternative middle school. And right. it, there was a PE thing. I was doing a high school and then I did an alternative high school and I did an alternative middle school. I drove over there and I got there and they didn't, it was final schedule. Things were weird. So they didn't have a, a walking class, but they said, Hey, we got a class that would love to use the gym. Could you hang out with them? And I said, I'd love to do it. And as they were working out in the gym and kind of hanging out and doing stuff, um, it was a little gym. It was really kind of quaint. Um, they said they never get a chance to have PE. They're just loving this. They just love this. And I said, they don't have PE. 
No, they really don't. They don't have it in their classes. And I go, they don't have PE in their classes. That's crazy. They're just, they were loving it. And they're middle schoolers. They don't have PE. In, well, in that's the school. But see, that is part of the NCLB, No Child Left Behind. Mm hmm. That came from that. And remember, we talked about credit recovery. Yeah. yeah so no, if you're no, trying no. to get kids to graduate and and you want them on a specific track, you don't have room for things like that. You don't have room for extra, extra types yeah, of extra electives. stuff. And what they don't realize is you can actually teach so much better when the kids are so well rested from just blowing out that energy. Mm -hmm. They'll come back in so much more focused or teach while they're doing it. I mean, make a, a lesson plan around that activity. You know, there's so many ways you can use it. You know, sitting at a desk isn't the way to learn. And right. it just became back that again. I don't get it. And if you listen, if you, this is a shameless plug, but if you listen to the episodes on strategies in the alternative classroom with Jennifer Achari from Queensland University of Technology. She talks about how the morning is structured for academics and then the afternoon they go bike riding. The kids can do artistic out creative outlets. They can do they can play basketball. They can play games. It's all about having playtime, having time to just release everything. Right. Because when you're dealing with it doesn't matter if the kid, what kind of trauma the kids have or where the kids are, or even if the kids don't have any trauma, they've got to make those associations. And the pandemic took those away, but now they have time and they need to play. Adults need to play. Kids need to play. Even teenagers need to play. I mean, it's all part of being, it, it's all part of the social dynamic that we all need to have. And if you're wrapped up in your phone, you can't do it. You don't get that. So, and another funny thing that I just saw today, just to throw it out there, Seattle Public Schools are suing the uh, people in charge of TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat, etc., because of what they are doing to the mental um to what's happening to the students oh they're do they're doing it intentionally too it, they know exactly what they're doing right and they came it's back like and they said it's that like it's cigarette companies yeah and i'm not trying to go down another rabbit hole but yeah, yeah they they said but look at all the things that kids do with it i mean it's also a learning thing for them so you can't say that you mean i'm supposed to take that from like TikTok? Oh, you're telling a teacher what learning is. I don't mm -hmm. think so. So they said, well, I keep seeing these things. It's the teacher's responsibility. Brace yourselves. Yeah. It's the teacher's responsibility to teach the students how to use these platforms responsibly. Okay, I'm going to ask you, what is a school's influence on academic outcomes for a student. What is it? One to 14%. 
Let's say 10 to 12%. 14, yeah. 1 to 14%. Well, I think one. I mean, I, I really hope that I'm, I've got enough charisma to drag at least 10% attention out of a kid. <laughs> but parents, yeah. parents and peers and other yeah. people out in the community have a yeah. far greater influence. They so teachers. much do. There are yeah. some kids that you can, you can speak directly to them and they'll mm -hmm. look at you like you're not there. It's very strange. I kind of it do really a lot depends. Of Williams thing. It's really strange. Yeah. You don't want to intrude on their personal space by trying to get them, make them talk, but they will not right. respond to you. Yeah. Hey everybody, how are you doing? I'm just here to remind you to hit that subscribe button and also to share this podcast with your friends. We are now in over 41 countries around the world, and we are growing. We don't always hit it right, but we still have a conversation that is relevant to the policies and what's going on now today in education and especially alternative education. So we can only grow and we can only do better if we hear back from you. So be sure to leave us a review and send us an email, educationaltriage at gmail.com. So back to our show. Now let's get back to equity. Let's do it. Because kids are kids <laughs> and equity is. But that's the point. And that's, in no way is that equity, I think, when, when you're considering the kids as individual and just sort of blanketing out everyone going, so for the sake of considering you and your needs as individuals, we're going to treat everyone the same. Didn't seem right. Well, you can't. Remember, she think about that. this. Yeah. If you have an eighth grader or a tenth grader who can't read. Right. The equitable thing to do would be to use human capital in order to teach that kid how to read because that kid has fallen so far behind. It doesn't mean that their brain is so far behind that everything has to be remediated, okay. but they will need some scaffolding in, in everything else in order to get there. Mm -hmm. That could be influencing their reading or their mathematical ability as well and their understanding of the sciences. So if you right. think about if you if and don't sit there and say, well, how are we going to do that? Or think outside the box. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and don't rely on computerized programs. Well, and the other thing I was thinking about was so think outside the box as far as trying to get a kid to read who's like dyslexic, for goodness sake. Mm -hmm. um, so that takes a lot of intensive uh, training and just phonetic work i was working with some kids we were just working these trees and patterns trees and patterns and i thought to myself the outcome of this is for them to conform to a certain language pattern that we all use that they have a difficulty using and i thought to myself it's all in the outcome we all have this amazing brain and we're all targeting this social outcome and they just have a certain thing in their brain that makes it very difficult for them to get to that certain outcome. It's not that they think thoughts that aren't the same thoughts we all have. It's that they have a coding system in their mind that makes it difficult for them to get to that. And so it's somewhat of a disability or a handicap. It's not a handicap in thinking, it's a handicap in coding. And so it got me thinking about this whole thing about these kids killing themselves for these tests and such. And the accolades, they put so much on the value in that. And 
you think about it when you're 16 or 17, you have to be a fresh or sophomore to get to the National Honor Society. Um, you know, you don't have much time to build a resume. So if you hold back those test scores, six months is a long time to build an academic resume. And that's all they can target is that academic resume. You know what I mean? That's like the only objective. Mm -hmm. If they're going to go to college and they're building an academic resume, these tests were big time important. Well, so they finally, at Thomas Jefferson, they handed them out during homeroom yeah. in the middle of November. Okay. But they did it quietly. In Langley and Westfield high schools, mm -hmm. they made calls home within the last couple, sometime within the last week or two. Right. To let families know. Mm. Which makes it, let's see, September to October, November, December, four months late. College at, well, well, I don't know. That's four months late. That's and they still say months. it wasn't their fault. It was a clerical error. Prove it. <laughs> That's what I would say. I remember and when I, I was a kid, we never even saw the results no. ever. I mean, I didn't even know what I took. I just took it. Mm -hmm. And so it was important to me. It just wasn't because I didn't know any results. Right. No clue. Um, I'm amazed that I didn't know my high school GPA for like years. It didn't matter. But now it's all consuming to a well, lot of kids. Here's what it comes down to. And this is this is something that the equity part still doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> because it's equitable. <laughs> it's, well, if yeah. you are in a school that's known for certain outcomes of your students, I mean, you are a magnet school, you yeah. do all these things. Shouldn't you be proud that these students hit these landmarks? Shouldn't there be some kind of. I don't know. I don't know why they would keep a it. A bit of celebration to say. Um, the Look. down low. Or it was, it wasn't, it was delayed too, wasn't it? What was delayed? The results, giving the kids the results. Well, that's what I've been saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was delayed. It was on the down low. They delayed it. They didn't want, and they wanted to do it on the DL. I don't know why. So that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And so I did a little investigating. I was curious. I thought, okay, are these just white people who are doing this? <laughs> and the answer is no. Oh, okay. No. It's a white woman, a white man, and a black woman. Okay. So, and I thought, okay, there, I don't understand the rationale behind all this. None of this is making sense to me. Now, let me give you a breakdown of, of the district. Let's just do the district. 101,000, no. 181,000 students in grades pre-K through 12, 200 languages, 27% is economically disadvantaged, 14.4% right. are students with disabilities, more than 20% are English learners. Demographically, 36.8 are white, 27.1 are Hispanic, 19.8 are Asian, 10% black, 5% 5.9% are two or more races, 0.3 are American Indian, and 0.1 are Native Hawaiian. Hmm. 
The interesting part of this is that you have this huge racially diverse and rich atmosphere. Yeah. And you, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I mean, is do you think that this is more administrative meddling for their own advantage? Well, you were saying, I don't, I don't think it's conscious. You were saying you didn't want to get political. It's not political. I don't think <laughs> but political. our politics are being sort of affected by it. I think there's sort of a misunderstanding of just people. It's almost like I, I, it's sort of an insanity, maybe. I don't know. It, look, if there's a classification, I guess. They want to, people want to class people in like groups. You're like, oh, people over there are Hispanic, and there's Caucasians, and there's you know, there's there's African Americans, and it's like, but right. It's like they're just kids and somewhere, somehow someone attached value to like the kids there as being certain groups and they did it on behalf of equity and of that's like a catchphrase, but it's like people lately are like overcompensating for race. Well, they're putting kids into buckets. Yeah, they're classifying going, well, like the whole, you know, there's too many Asian kids getting into this academy for math and science it's like so i mean that you know if you look at time that'll even out i mean it's like it so what i mean that happens i get it there's a lot of asian kids that want to excel at math and science now things mm -hmm. change i mean look at the scores don't just you know don't exclude somebody because they're a certain color or yeah, because they got a great score. Well, you know, we, we have our quota of Asian folks now. I'm sorry. You're the six one and we can't take any more than five. That's, what, that's discrimination. It's reverse discrimination with there is no such thing as. That's discrimination. That's not good. But they will not see it as discrimination. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's any less so. It still is. It just means you're deluding yourself. It's, you have to see people as humans, not as well. We have our quota of those kind of people. That's just how people excluded <gasps> people like those that. kinds of people. Yeah, those you just, people. I, you did those not actually people. just say that. Did oh, you? you know, those people. I used to call my dogs those, you know, people. those people. My dog, but that, those people, the dogs. Yeah, yeah, just those people. Yeah, it's... I use those people for virtue signals. Yeah, it's like, you know, there's those people and us people. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I think, but, you know, earlier before we even started, yeah. before we even started recording, you and I were talking about the fact that there is such an influx of people who are virtue signalers yeah. who come into education because it, they profit, they, they profit emotionally or even reputationally. I suppose, off of being able to post things on their Facebook page about how morally superior they are because they're working yeah. with a certain group of kids because they did this for these kids because they're doing that. And I worked yeah. with somebody very closely for nine years, and that is exactly what they and the other members of their family do because it's all about what they have done for others. And they talk about Look at how we are serving these people of color. Well, if you look at their actual community, once they leave, it's lily white. They don't, they, 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 they champion their church. 
their entire church congregation is white. Everybody in their congregation is white. They don't, they have nothing diverse whatsoever. And they go around and they are lecturing people on how they need to be more diverse. And Mm. it's kind of like uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost. Well, it sounds like white liberalism, which was, you know, the fate of bad white people forever. It's like, well, I know better, including knowing better than those people, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I'll do good deeds for them. And it it was was just so self-ingratiating. And it's like, wait a minute, take a break here, Turbo. You know, who, who appointed you the the knower of all things on behalf of everyone, including the victims that you're helping. Did it ever occur to you that the people that you're helping don't consider themselves victims? In fact, they could consider themselves just people and you're classifying them and treating them like the classified ones. Well, they also classify white people. Oh, yes. According, they to, do, how, you know. according to how helpful or useful they are towards yeah. what towards their goals which makes it sort of subconscious which makes trying to figure out why this woman did this or this committee did this in the name of equity all the more maybe i'm not assigning them that sort of white virtue signaling or virtue signaling in general Mm -hmm. but it appears to be sort of a self-delusional beat sort of we're doing it for equity and equality it's like but no one can see that do you think there's a lack of self-awareness? I think there's a big lack of self-awareness. I do. I just think if they did it on behalf of the kids, it would have been a very easy... Like you said, they're talking about legislation on when they're going to do this. And it should be very obvious always for when it was best for the kids as soon as possible. And, well, yeah. the governor... I think it was either the governor or the secretary of state who said... Yeah. Isn't this a given? Do we really need to write a bill on this? Exactly. You shouldn't have to like go, duh. Why didn't you think of that? <laughs> then don't give us a thing. Yeah. But now there are other schools in Loudoun County and other and mm-hmm. other school districts around the state that are and as I said, possibly around the country who are doing the same thing. They just got picked up by the Washington Post because they are within proximity of Washington, D.C. Yeah, they do get that proximity thing. Yeah, they do. <laughs> but they just offer it's a huge school district. So I can see kind mm-hmm. of losing that. I, I was just around one of my um, local school districts. I was reading their equity and uh, racial I can't, racial policy policy statement or something anyway it was two pages long maybe three it had the way i put it was it had something in there for everybody to have a disagreement with it was way too long and i thought oh my goodness oh oh someone not like this. oh someone would not like this and i thought they're just asking for it it sounds like something that everybody was being paid to write yeah, it was like, oh, no, oh, you shouldn't do that. I, ew, that's asking for someone to get angry about. It was just, <laughs> you know, you can say a lot more with less words. <laughs> they were trying Here's, to be very good with it. And they were, well, what I would think is, and if you're listening to this, look at your equity statement from your district yeah. or your school. And then ask them to show you how it's being implemented. And if they can't give you specifics, they're not doing it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And it's all just for show. So if you really are involved in equity work, if you really do believe that students count and that students should be getting the best possible education, that the students should be getting the best possible opportunities in order to succeed and that they should and that we should have a growth mindset around all of this where we want to lead the students to succeed so that they can see how they can instead of yeah. a fixed mindset, which means this is where you are, this is what you're going to do, and this is how it's going to be. Yeah. Then challenge that and bring that up. And there, there's power in numbers. So if there are other people in your building, other people in your community, other people in the district, and you can start getting a movement going. And I'm very much for this, where you can start looking at and start affecting change and start holding people's feet to the fire and also ask them why they're not team leaders. Oh, it's the, oh yeah. Start developing this idea that everybody in the building is a team. Yeah. And they're supposed to be the team leaders, not the Joseph Stalins. <laughs> not the dictators, no. Right. A leader. Right. Yeah, a Not guide. the Ceausescu's. A guide. Not an iron fist. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they're supposed to be there helping you facilitate. They should be there supporting you. That's what administrators do. They support and they help you. They're there when you need them because it's kind of like if you're an effective parent, you know that you need to have, you need to be there for your kids. You want them to fail so that they can learn to go forward. Yeah. But you also need to make sure that they're in the right direction and you need to show them some things. But if they don't have those capabilities, why are they your administrator? Why don't you get rid of them? Why don't you have the power to fire them? Same thing with the superintendent. Same thing with the other people in the, in the cabinet for the superintendent. So start thinking about these things and also what's best for the children and are we really hitting our equity benchmarks and what are those? Maybe that's something we should talk about. I, I, you know, the thing I'm thinking about is just, if we got to consider kids one at a time, it's not too hard to do. If we think about kids one mm -hmm. at a time, we'll realize that the outcomes are shooting for are very flexible and we should consider them so we should stop testing by the year and we should stop treating kids like they should be on all the same pages and we should stop being or stop being so rigid with curriculum be very flexible and start helping kids learn instead of demanding that they learn because they're rebelling all the time i'm seeing it all the time and when i deal with them i don't deal with them that way they see me very favorably because I tell them right off the bat, I'm here for you. Let's do this lesson. And if we only get through two questions, we're going to do it well. And it's okay by me. And I usually kind of have a good time with them and they learn it anyway. It's just the weirdest thing. I got something with the kids because I consider them as a person and not as, you know, a student. And I just don't get why we can't do that for all of them. I think me. I think you and I need to have an episode on building an equitable, a truly yeah. equitable school system. Yeah, because it's not hard. I mean, there's so many people that would help. There's so many volunteers and paraeducators, mm -hmm. and they need to hire more teachers that 
like us that would have that outlook, you could, it would be amazing. It would, and, and it would cost less because I'll tell you these textbooks at 50 to 75 to a hundred bucks a pop are worthless. Worthless. Well, cause they, they only have a lifespan of three to five years, really. That's purposeful. And you're, all you're doing is feeding the coffers of capitalism. It's well, there, there are some, actually there are some textbooks that last much longer. Yeah, but they use the same stories and the same concepts, believe me. No, if you use the same English book for, say, 10, 15, 20 years, you'd be fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the teacher that makes it. It's the right. knowledge of the world, you right. know, especially now with chat GPT and all. It's, you know, we can create so many amazing things and have kids just pick it apart. And mm -hmm. I, I was working with a kid today. One kid, she's a guitar, he's a guitar player, and he was great at math. And she hated math and she was a good writer and i said there it is i go and i bet you guys like hate the other parts of the tests right oh i hate to write yeah and i hate to do math i said but that doesn't mean you guys are worthless humans i am very proud of you both you know it yeah. was kind of fun i i just said that I go, you're a musician i got bet you're good at math he goes yeah i go uh-huh yeah musicians are good at math and that. science they're very good at physics yeah, because you physics have to learn physics for music so yeah i said that I go, exactly i go and that's why i can't play a lick because i am terrible <laughs> at math i love music but i cannot think it oh. i just can't and it makes sense to me you know, that it's that way mm -hmm. okay so i think that wraps us up for the week yeah, I don't know what they're going to do in Loudoun County, but that's craziness, man. I wouldn't want to be them. Um, <laughs> I think it's all going to go down fine. Oh, and I do want to say this on behalf of all those good students that are getting into that science and math program. Um, I, we, I've done some, um, you know, like circle circle sessions with students and, you know, and a lot of the Asian students go, I wish people would stop looking at me and going, are you good at math? No, I'm not good at math because I'm Asian. It's like this, it's like this prejudice uh, or this misconception of Asians. Like they're good at math. I'm not. Totally makes sense. Well, it's a completely bigoted assumption. Yeah, it's a total wild assumption. It was kind of funny. I go, of course you're not good at math. It's like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And on that note, yes. we bid you all <laughs> farewell until the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Yeah, bye.